Chapter 26 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Old Botanist On the trunk of a tree, overthrown by a storm in Moidon Woods, a man was seated. Under his grizzled wig he showed a mild and shrewd visage. His brown coat was of good cloth, as were his breeches, and his grey waistcoat was worked on the flaps. His grey cotton stockings imprisoned well-made and muscular legs. His buckled shoes, though dusty in patches, had been washed at the top by the morning dews. Near him, on the trunk, was a green box, open and stuffed with freshly gathered plants. Between his legs he held a cane with a crutch handle, ending in a sort of pick. He was eating a piece of bread and tossing crumbs to the wild birds, which flew down on the pieces and took them off to their nooks with joyful peeps. Suddenly, he heard hurried steps, and seeing on looking up, a young man with disquieting aspect, he rose. He buttoned up his coat and closed his overcoat above it. His air was so calming that the intruder on his piece came to a stop and doffed his hat. It was Gilbert. Gilbert, much the worse for his roaming the woods through the night since he had fled from Lucienne, in order not to lose his freedom. Remarking this sudden timidity, the old man appeared to be put at ease by it. "'Do you want to speak to me, my friend?' he asked, smiling and laying the piece of bread on the tree. "'Yes, for I see that you are throwing away bread on the birds, as though it were not written that the Lord provides for the sparrows.' "'The Lord provides,' returned the old gentleman. "'No doubt, young man.' but the hand of man is one of the means. You are wrong if you said that as a reproach, for never is cast away bread, in the desert or on the crowded street, lost to living creatures. Here the birds get it, there the beggars. Though this be the wilds, I know of a man who wants to dispute that bread with the birds said Gilbert, though struck by the soft and penetrating voice of the stranger. "'Are you the man? And are you hungered?' "'Sharply so. And if you would allow—' With eager compassion the gentleman took up the crust, but, suddenly reflecting, he scrutinized Gilbert with a quick yet profound glance. Gilbert was not so like a starving man that the meditation was warranted— his dress was decent, though earth-stained in places. His linen was white, for he had at Versailles on the previous evening changed his shirt out of his parcel, but from its dampness it was visible that he had slept in the woods. In all this, and his white and taper hands, the man of vague reverie was revealed, rather than the hard worker. Not wanting for tact, Gilbert understood the distrust and hesitation of the stranger in respect to him, and hastened to annul conjectures which might be unfavorable. "'After twelve hours hunger begins, and I have eaten nothing for four-and-twenty,' he observed. The truth of the words was supported by his emotion, the quaver of his voice, and the pallor of his face. The old gentleman therefore ceased to waver, or rather to fear— he held out not only the bread, but a handkerchief in which he was carrying cherries. "'I thank you,' said Gilbert, repulsing the fruit gently. "'Only the bread, which is ample.' Breaking the crust in two, 
he took one portion and pushed back the other. Then he sat on the grass, a yard or two away from the old gentleman who viewed him with increasing wonder. The meal did not last long, as the bread was scant and Gilbert hungry. With no words did the observer trouble him, but continued his mute and furtive examination, while apparently only attending to his plants and flowers in the box. But seeing that Gilbert was going to drink at a pool, he quickly caught out, "'Do not drink that water, young man. It is infected by the detritus of the plants dead last year, and by the frog spawn swimming on the surface. You had better take some cherries, as they will quench thirst better than water.' I invite you, partake, as I see you are not an importunate guest. It is true, sir. Importunity is the opposite of my nature. I fear nothing so much as being importunate, as I have just been proving at Versailles. Oh, so you come from Versailles? queried the stranger, looking hard at him. A rich place, where only the proud or the poor die of want. I am both, sir. Have you quarreled with your master? I have no master. That is a very lofty answer, said the other, putting away the plants in the box while regarding the young man. Still, it is exact. No, young man, for everybody has a master here, as we all suffer the domination of a higher power. Some are ruled by men, some by principles, and the sternest masters are not always those who order or strike with the human voice or hand. I confess I am ruled by principles, replied Gilbert. They are the only masters which the mind may acknowledge without shame. Oh, those are your principles, are they? You seem very young to have any settled principles. I am young, but I have studied, or rather read a little in such works as On the Inequality of Classes and The Social Contract. Out of them comes all my knowledge and perhaps all my dreams. These words kindled a flame in the hearer's eyes. He so started that he broke a flower rebellious to being packed away. These may not be your principles, but they are Rousseau's. Dry stuff for a youth, said the other. Sad matter for contemplation at twenty years of age. A dry and scentless flower for imagination in the springtide of life. Misfortune ripens a man unseasonably, sir. As you study the philosopher of Geneva, do you make a personal allusion there? I do not know anything about him, rejoined Gilbert candidly. No, young man, that he is an unhappy creature. With a sigh he said it. Impossible! Jean-Jacques Rousseau unhappy! Is there no justice above more than on earth? The man unhappy, who has consecrated his life to the welfare of the race? I plainly see that you do not know him. So, 
Let us rather speak of yourself. Whither are you going? To Paris. Do you belong there? So far as I am living there, but I was not born in it. Why the question? It is attached to the subject we were talking of. If you live in Paris, you may have seen the philosopher Rousseau. Oh, yes, I have seen him. He is looked at as he passes along. They point to him as the benefactor of humanity. No, the children follow him, and, encouraged by their parents, throw stones at him. Gracious, still, he has the consolation of being rich, said Gilbert with painful stupefaction. Like yourself, he often wonders where the next meal is coming from. But, though poor, he is powerful, respected, and well-considered. He does not know of a night in lying down that he will not wake in the Bastille. How he must hate men! He neither loves nor hates them. They fill him with disgust. That is all. I do not understand how he cannot hate those who ill-use him, exclaimed Gilbert. Rousseau has always been free and strong enough to rely on himself. Strength and liberty make men meek and good. It is only weakness and slavery which create the wicked. I guessed this as you explain it, and that is why I wish to be free. I see that we agree on one point, our liking for Rousseau. Speak for yourself, young man. Youth is the season for illusions. Nay, one may be deceived upon things, but not on men. Alas, you will learn by and by, and that it is men particularly about whom deception is easiest. Perhaps Rousseau is a little fairer than other men, but he has his faults, and great ones. Gilbert shook his head, but the stranger continued to treat him with the same favor, though he was so uncivil. You said you had no master? None, though it dwelt with me to have a most illustrious one, but I refused on the condition that I should make the amusement of noble idlers. Being young, able to study and make my way, I ought not to lose the precious time of youth and compromise in my person the dignity of man. This was right, said the stranger gravely. But have you determined on a career? I should like to be a physician. A grand and noble career, where one may decide between true science, modest and martyr-like, and quackery, impudent, rich, and bloated. If you love truth, young man, be a doctor. If you love popular applause, be a doctor. I am afraid it will cost a lot of money to study. Although 
Rousseau learned for nothing. Nothing? Oh, young man, said the plant collector with a mournful smile. Do you call nothing the most precious of heavenly blessings? Candor, health, and sleep? That was the price the Genevian seeker of wisdom paid for the little he knows. Little, when he is a great musical composer? Pooh, because the king sings, I have lost my servant. That does not prove the village sorcerer to be a good opera. He is a noted botanist. An herb-gatherer, very humble and ignorant amid the marvels known as plants and flowers. He is a Latin scholar, for I read that he had translated Tacitus. Bah! Because in his conceit he wanted to be master of all crafts. But Tacitus, who is a rough antagonist to wrestle with, tired him. No, no, my good young man, in spite of your admiration, there are no more admirable Crichtons. On what man gains in breath, he loses in depth. Rousseau is a superficial man, whose surface is a trifle wider than most men's. That is all. Many would like to attain his mark, said the youth. Do you slur at me? asked the stranger with a good nature, disarming Gilbert. God forbid, for it is too much pleasure to chat for me to disoblige you. You draw me out, and I am amazed at the language I am using, for I only picked it out of books, which I did not clearly follow. I have read too much, but I will read again with care. But I forget that while your talk is valuable to me— mine only wastes your time for you are herb gathering no said the botanist fixing his gray eyes on the youth who made a move to go but wanted to be detained my box is clearly full and i only want certain mosses i hear the capillary grows round here stay i saw some yonder how do you know capillaries I was born on the woodland. The daughter of the nobleman on whose estate I was reared liked botany. She had a collection, and the objects had their names on labels attached. I noticed that what she called capillary was called by us rustics maidenhair fern. So you took a taste for botany. It was this way. I sometimes heard Nicole. She is the maid to Mademoiselle Andrea de Tavernay, say that her mistress wanted such and such a plant for her herbarium. So I asked her to get a sketch of them, and I searched in the woods till I raked them up. Then I transplanted them where she must find them, and used to hear the lady in taking her walk cry out, How odd! Here is the very thing I was looking for. The old gentleman looked with more heed, and it made Gilbert lower his eyes blushing, for the interest had tenderness in it. Continue to study botany, which leads as a flowery path to medicine. Paris has free schools, 
and I suppose your folks will supply your maintenance. I have no relations, but I can earn my living at some trade. Yes, Rousseau says in his Emile that every one should learn a trade, even though he were a prince's son. I have not read that book, but I have heard Baron Tavernay mock at the maxim and pretend grief at not having made his son a joiner. Instead, he made him a soldier so that he will dismember instead of joining. Yes, these nobles bring their sons up to kill and not to nourish. When revolution comes, they will be forced to beg their bread abroad or sell their sword to the foreigners, which is more shameful. But you are not noble, and you have a craft. No, I have a horror for rough toil. But give me a study, and see how I will wear out night and day in my tasks. You have been to school, if not to college. I know but to read and write, said Gilbert, shaking his head. My mother taught me to read, for seeing me slight in physique, she said, you will never be a good workman, but you must try to be priest or scholar. Learn to read, Gilbert, and you will not have to split wood, guide the plough or hew stone. Unhappily, my mother died before I could more than read, so I taught myself writing. First I traced letters on sand with a sharp stick till I found that the letters used in writing were not those of print, which I was copying. Hence I hope to meet someone who will need my pen, a blind man who will need my eyes, or a dummy who needs my tongue. You appear to have willingness and courage, but do you know what it will cost you to live in town? At least three times what it did in the country. Well, suppose I have shelter, and for rest after toil I can shift on six cents a day? That is the right talk. I like this kind of man, said the plant collector. Come with me to Paris, and I will find you an independent profession by which you may live. Oh, my friend, exclaimed Gilbert, intoxicated with delight, I accept your offer, and I am grateful. But what will I have to do in your company? Nothing but toil, but you will mete out the amount of your work. You will exercise your right of youth, freedom, happiness, and even of idleness after you earn the right to be at leisure, added the unnamed benefactor, smiling as though in spite of his will. Then, raising his eyes to heaven, he ejaculated, Oh, youth! vigor and liberty with an inexpressibly poetical melancholy spreading over his fine pure lineaments now lead me to the spot where the maiden hair is to be found he said gilbert stepped out before the old gentleman and the pair disappeared in the underwood end of chapter 26 recording by john van stan savannah georgia